Well, good morning. Very happy Mother's Day to all the mothers here this morning. I was originally supposed to speak a couple weeks ago uh, when my grandpa spoke, but things got kind of switched around, and uh, I looked two weeks ago, and I hear everyone talking about Mother's Day coming up, and I thought, well, it couldn't possibly be the Sunday I'm speaking. And so I, I looked it up, and it, sure enough, it was Mother's Day. And so that kind of uh, threw a wrench in the message I was preparing. Uh, I was talking to someone, and they asked me what I was going to speak on. And I was originally asked to speak on a doctrine, but I figured since it was Mother's Day, we'd go in a different direction. So I said, I really have no idea. She looked at me and she said, Nick, you didn't know what day Mother's Day was? Uh, suggesting I was uh, some terrible son, but I'm really a very good son, they tell me. But um, uh, yeah, so uh, we're going to open up our Bibles to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. To kind of finish that story, uh, I said to her, you know, every average mother deserves one day a year to be celebrated, but at my house, every day is Mother's Day. Uh, my mom is just that extraordinary, so uh, you got you got you got to earn the points when you can, you know. You got to you got to earn the points. So, First Samuel chapter one. Uh, there are a few uh, have Sundays in the year that you can come to church and uh, probably guess the message. And I would say Mother's Day, you would have a fairly good guess if you would guess so that mother uh, that Hannah would be presented on Mother's Day. Um, and the reason for that being is Hannah sets perhaps the greatest example we find in Scripture um, for a mother to follow. And we're going to see this morning that Hannah's example that she sets is not only applicable to that of a mother, but also that of a father, uh, those that will perhaps one day be a parent, and also those that uh, perhaps won't have children but are involved in some form of uh, youthful ministry. And so I want to I want to just make sure that everyone knows that her example can apply to each and every one of us. Um, but here we are in Samuel chapter 1. I'm sure we're all very familiar with this story. Uh, the main focus of my message is really the last half of uh, chapter 1, but uh, for the sake of context, we'll read verses 1 through 8. I'll, I'll give a little um, background and then we'll, we'll dive in. But in 1 Samuel chapter 1 in verse 1, it says, Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name, the name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went, went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also, the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a, a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat, and why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? And so we see right off the bat, um, the author kind of portrays Hannah being in a situation that isn't so desirable. We see that she is one of two wives, and on top of that all, uh, she is the wife that is not able to bear children. And in this society, it's very important to note that women who were not able to bear children um, we're kind of overlooked in this society. We know that in the 
uh, Old Testament, when the Lord Jesus, or when the Lord is making a covenant with his people, he lists off all the blessings that would come upon his people if they were to be obedient. And he lists all the curses that would come upon his people if they were to be disobedient. Um, and one of those blessings and curses would be that if they were obedient, they would bear children. If they were disobedient, they would not be, bear children. And so we see that people will kind of take that to the extreme and say, well, if this woman's not able to bear children, then she is cursed of God. Um, and so we see that Hannah was not in a very desirable position. The third thing it mentions is that the other wife, Penina, um, would provoke her, um, provoke her yearly. And it's very interesting. I looked up her, Penina's name, and her name means ruby. It's very inter interesting because uh, my birthday, July, the birthstone is ruby. So it gave me reason to uh, research rubies a little bit. Um, and so rubies, it turns out, are the second hardest stones uh, in the world today. We know that the, perhaps the, most hard sub the hardest substance in the world today is the diamond. Well, rubies come second behind them. And also, besides, um, besides diamonds, we see that rubies are almost always flawed. Um, unlike diamonds, um, they, they, they're almost always flawed, and they say, those that are professional ruby people, they say that if the ruby is found flawless, then it is made just that much more valuable and that much more expensive. And so really, her name really fits her very well. She was flawed, and she had a hard heart at times. Um, but she would make life miserable for Hannah to the point where Hannah could not weep, um, and she, she began to weep as well. <clears throat> One thing I wanted to point out before we, we moved on, it said that Penina would provoke Hannah daily, year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord. Um, it would always be around the time where they would go and, uh, and, and offer up a sacrifice to the Lord. And Penina would provoke Hannah to the point where she could not eat. It was difficult for her. You see, Penina was so self-centered, she, she, she would look upon Hannah having no children, and yet she would look upon her having a double portion and she would, be, she would be envious of her. And she would say, really, I deserve that double portion. I'm the one bearing children. And so she would provoke her to wrath. But being so self-centered on herself, she didn't realize that by provoking Hannah to wrath, she was really stealing away worship from the Lord. She was really stealing away some of the glory that belonged to the Lord because it was at this time that they would go and offer up sacrifices to the Lord. But you would assume that since Hannah was not able to eat even because she was so brokenhearted, uh, you can imagine her heart wasn't even in, this, in the worship that she would offer up. And so we need to be very careful when we provoke one another. We need to be very careful. Um, oftentimes, um, from, uh, based on my limited experience, whenever I'm provoked by a brother to anger, to wrath, to jealousy, whatever the case is, it always happens to be on a Saturday, like without fail. And, and I try and come here on Sunday morning, and I'm just, I'm just angry with this brother, and, and I can't worship. And it, it would seem that this would just progress year after year after year. Perhaps it started with just a little comment from Penina made to Hannah. And then perhaps it just got, it, it escalated year by year to the point where Hannah's heart was broken. And so we need to be very careful. Oftentimes we'll, we'll let these little issues slide between a brother and, and another brother. But eventually we see that it just, it just escalates. And so we need to be very careful. In fact, the only thing that the Word of God tells us to provoke one another to is to love and to good works. So we need to be very careful lest we steal away some of the worship and the glory that belongs to the Lord. Um, so that's what we'll do. And so let's just read verses 9 through 20 really quickly. It says, So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. 
Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli washed her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I've asked of him from the Lord. And we know that it then goes on to have Samuel being born. Uh, she weans him, and then she offers him up to Eli the priest, and he would um, continue in his ministry to the Lord. But there are four things I want to point out to you in this portion that we see of Hannah. The first being her response to her afflictions. And her response is that she goes before the Lord and pours her heart out to him. She pours her, out to the, her, her heart out to the Lord. In her prayer, you see that Hannah was aware of her position before God. The third being, um, in her prayer, she had a plan. And, the, and finally, in the fourth, she was persistent. And, and we'll explain that on later. Uh, it's very interesting. As, look, as I was looking at Hannah, you see that there, there's another woman in Genesis that is almost under the exact same affliction in the same exact way. You remember in, in Genesis 30 uh, with Rachel. Rachel was married to Jacob. We know the story that Jacob worked seven years trying to, to marry Rachel. He gets deceived, ends up marrying Leah, and then works another seven years to finally marry Rachel. But we see that in the process of time that Leah is the one that's able to have a child, and Hannah's, uh, Rachel is not. And so Rachel comes before uh, Jacob in Genesis 30 in verse 1, and she says, uh, she says, now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. And we know this story that she then goes on to offer Jacob her maidservant and have a child with him that way. So we see Rachel and Hannah in completely the same situation, and yet they both handle it in the exact opposite way. We see Rachel, she takes things into her own hands and says, here's my maidservant. She doesn't take it before the Lord, she goes before her husband. And yet we see Hannah's response is to go before the Lord and to pour herself out. She sees the problem, but she knows who, who the solution is, and the solution is found in the Lord God. And so that was very interesting to me. Um, it just made me think of how little we tend to think of prayer. Uh, I remember um, one of my dear friends uh, years ago, her family was going through a very difficult time. I think I've shared this with you before. Um, her sister was, was passing away, and it was very clear that the Lord was taking her, taking her home. And I remember saying to her, I said, is there anything I can do to help your family at all? And she said, honestly, Nick, the only thing you can do is pray. And I remember the first thought that entered into my mind, well, is there anything more useful I can do? You see, that's our response to prayer. Uh, it's our last resort. We'll, we'll, we'll pray when, 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 when all hope is lost. That's the only thing we can do. But we see that was Hannah's first response, was to pour her heart out to the Lord, her God. Um, 
in verse 12, it says that she continued praying. She continued praying. Um, a, a verse that's uh, been, been so, um, so heavy on my heart lately is in, in Matthew 26. You remember uh, on the night in which the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he takes a handful of his disciples into the garden, and he says, watch here and pray. And so he goes away, and he, he prays before the Lord, and he comes back, and he finds his disciples asleep. And he says to them, he says to them, what, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And this is a phrase that's been heavy on my heart. He says, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You see, here are, here are a handful of men who are in the right place at the right time. You see that there, there's only a few of the disciples, and you ask, well, where is everyone else? Well, they're probably back at the house sleeping. But you see that these men followed the Lord to the garden. And these men have followed the Lord Jesus Christ for years now. They're exhausted. There have been nights where they have gotten little sleep. They've been working all, all these years. They're exhausted. And yet the Lord says to them, your spirit indeed is willing, but your flesh is weak. And I look at my life, and I, and I see the needs of prayer in my life. I see the needs of prayer in my family here at Claremont. I see the needs of prayer throughout the whole world, and yet I'm just not willing to come before the Lord and pray. Not because I'm exhausted, not because I'm busy, but because there's just more things that I'd rather do with my time, honestly speaking. And so are we willing to pray? Hannah was willing to pray. She came before the Lord, pouring herself out. And it said that she continued praying. It wasn't just a one-time prayer. It was something that she, said, she offered up continually, continually. Has there ever been an event in your life where um, something was so heavy on your heart that you took it continually before the Lord and you said, Lord, I'm not going to leave until you give me an answer? But we see that was, Hannah's, that was Hannah's heart at this time. So heavy, so heartbroken. She would continue in prayer. Uh, the next point, uh, she knew her position before the Lord. And what I mean by that is in her prayer, she re- her prayer, at least here, is one verse long. And in this verse, she refers to herself as the maidservant of the Lord three times. Three times the maidservant of the Lord. And then in her conversation with Eli, she mentions herself as the maidservant again two more times. So within just a handful of verses, she refers to herself as a servant five times. Now here, Hannah comes before the Lord, pouring herself out, and she, has one or, she can do one or, one or two things. She can come before the Lord with a shaking fist, saying, Lord, listen, I'm the one that's faithful to you, and yet you haven't given me any children. And yet I, I, look, at, I look at Penina, this evil woman, and you've given her children. What are you doing? Oftentimes that is our response, to come before the Lord with a shaking fist. But Hannah comes before the Lord humbly and says, Lord, I'm your maidservant. So she knew her position before the Lord. Um, she knew her position before the Lord. The next thing I wanted to point out to you is in verse 10, it says that she was in bitterness of soul. But the thing with Hannah is she didn't allow the circumstances of her life to make her embittered towards the Lord or to any, really, any other people in this scripture. You don't see her going to her husband saying, listen, you need to control that woman. She doesn't say, listen, Penina is not a keeper. If you love me, Make a choice. She doesn't, she doesn't say that. But she, she doesn't allow the circumstances of her life to embitter her towards anyone or towards, towards the Lord. And that is very important. It is Satan's goal to take any glory away from the Lord. And oftentimes the Lord will allow these circumstances to come into our life and people can do one or two things. They can come before the Lord humbly, as we see in Hannah, or they can become embittered and hardened before the Lord. So we need to be very careful. Hannah comes before the Lord humbly. She was aware of her position. And in her prayer, 
she asks for four things. She says, Lord, remember me. She, uh, I'm sorry. She says, Lord, look on my affliction. Remember me. Don't forget me. And then finally she says, and give me a son. Those are the four things she asks for. And, and in this portion of scripture, we see that the Lord answers that prayer beautifully. Um, if, the, if there's, as I was reading through this prayer, I thought of a, a verse in Psalm 51 and verse 17. It says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. If you look up the word for despise there, it can actually also be translated resist. We have a God who cannot resist a broken and a contrite heart. And so we see Hannah comes before the Lord just asking for four things. Look upon me in my affliction. Remember me. Don't forget me and give me a son. Now, look down at the last part of verse 19. I know we're kind of jumping here and there, but at the last part of verse 19, it says, And Elkanah, Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. The Lord remembered her. Uh, here is Hannah pouring herself out before the Lord. He would look upon her, with a bro seeing her broken heart. He would look upon her in her affliction, and he would remember her, which is just what she asked to do. And then she says, Lord, don't forget me. Remember me, but don't forget me. And we're going to see that later, that the Lord doesn't forget her. And he answers her prayer and gives her a son. And she names him beautifully. Samuel means of God or from the Lord. So she, so she says, listen, I prayed, I asked for a son, and you know what? I'm going to name him Samuel, which means of the Lord or from the Lord. He looked upon me in my affliction. He remembered me, and he answered my prayer. Um, and we'll look at the, the last part of how the Lord answers her prayer later. Um, but here we see the, the goodness of the Lord. I want to just put this into perspective. The Lord God who created all, all things and was holding all things together would look upon a woman who is overlooked in society. And yet here you see the omnipotent one looking upon this woman with a broken heart and says, I cannot resist that woman. I'm going to give her exactly what she, wishes, what she asks for. That's, that's the heart of our God. And yet oftentimes we're not willing to come before the Lord and to lay our requests at his feet. But that, but that was Hannah's first response. Um, the, the next part... As we go through this, um, Hannah knew her plan. She had a plan for the Lord and how she was going to raise this child. Now, Hannah, she doesn't come before the Lord saying, Lord, if you give me a son, I promise I will make sure that he never worships any other God besides you. She doesn't come before the Lord and say, Lord, if you give me a son, I promise I will teach him to love you, to fear you with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. She doesn't say that. She says, Lord, if you give me a son, I will give him right back to you. I will give him right back to you, not knowing what exactly that would entail. Not knowing if that would mean that the Lord would use him close to home or far away. She says, Lord, I'm going to give him right back to you, and you can have your way with my son. She had a plan. She doesn't say, Lord, give me a son who will take care of me in my old age who will marry a young woman and have many grandchildren and, and, and will be near me forever. She says, Lord, give me a son and I'll give him right back to you. Whatever that entails, she was willing. She had a plan. Um, Hannah's mind for her child was set on spiritual things. It was not so that her son would benefit her physically in her life. As I said, she wasn't asking for a son that would stay close to home. 
but she asked for a son that would spend his whole life dedicated to serving the one true God. And so I asked the parents here this morning, what is your desire for your children? And is it set on spiritual things or is it set on the physical things in life? I was uh, talking to a, a camper's family. Uh, there was a, a camper from boys camp and me and him got fairly close and his parents invited me to, to come over and have lunch and so I took Logan Brody. Uh, we had lunch with the family and I was, we were talking about their son and how uh, he, he's getting to be very good at playing football, very good at playing football. And he went to a, a football training camp and here we see some of these guys who, who coach professional players, have been around talent their whole life. And they saw AJ and they said, obviously he hasn't grown yet and he hasn't fully developed, so we don't know how good he's gonna be. But he said, but he has the instincts and the potential to, to be good. Now really what that means is really, it's like one in a billion to get to the pros, but they didn't hear that. They said, oh man, you know, our son's gonna be a superstar. Um, but I remember talking to the mom and she said, you know, honestly, my desire for my son is that really he would just live a life for the Lord. And if that means him going to the NFL and getting a $100 million contract or not, I just want him to live for the Lord. And yet, and then she told me about her, her, her husband's perspective towards this. And he said, you know, as long as my son is saved, he doesn't really have to live a life for the Lord. But as long as he's saved, it would be cool to see him in the NFL. You see... Here are two parents with completely different views, different dreams for their children. One is set on the physical, and the other is set on the spiritual. And so parents, what is your desire for your children? I think um, one thing parents often forget in the church is that they forget that the child they're raising in the long run is not just their child. Oftentimes, you, you'll, you'll pick up a, a, Christian auto, uh, a Christian missionary autobiography and you're reading through it, and oftentimes it's difficult to read through a, a biography without seeing that these missionaries who grew up in a Christian home would go before their parents and say, you know what, I think the Lord's leading me to go to Africa, which, you know, silently is every parent's fear. Um, <laughs> but the Lord's leading me to Africa. And oftentimes, these parents who are Christians, very strong Christians, what do they say? They say, no. No, you're going to stay here, you're going to finish school, you're going to get married, and you're, you're going you're to be raised here. And yet you see that what this does is it adds years and years onto their journey. They pray for their parents more and more, and then finally the Lord changes their heart where they say, okay, fine, go. But really, from a parent's perspective, when you say no to your children who have a desire to, 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 to serve God, what you're saying is, no, my hopes for you, my dreams for you are so much bigger than what God can do with you, so much more important. And so we see Hannah's desire here before she even realizes that the Lord would answer her prayer. Her desire is that she would bring a child into this world that would live completely dedicated to him. Is that your desire for your, parents, for your children? Or is our hope just so focused on ourselves that they would get married, they'd become doctors, maybe play in the NFL, but they'd stay close to home. They'd visit us in the, in the Western Assembly's home down the street, whatever the case is. Is that our desire, or is it that my son or my daughter will live a life completely dedicated to the Lord? That was Hannah's desire, not knowing what that would entail, but that was her desire for her child. Um, the, the, next thing I, the last thing I want to point out to you in this portion is that Hannah prayed for a child before she even knew 
if he was going to be born. Um, I remember Scott DeGroff, one of the conferences, I forget what he was speaking on, but he said after he had proposed to his wife, Lynn, uh, she said yes, and the first thing they did was they got in their knees and they prayed together, and they said, Lord, we really want to be parents, but we don't want to be parents unless our children love the Lord with all of their heart, soul, and strength and mind. That was their prayer. And, you know, it turns out now they have two children. We saw them both at the Rise Up conference. And, I mean, they are such an encouragement. I mean, they're going on for the Lord. But Hannah, she was praying for her child before she was even born. I hear a lot of people praying for their future spouse, and that's, that's very good. We ought to pray for our spouse, but really we ought to pray for our children as well. Whether the Lord's going to bless us with them or not, we ought to come before the Lord. And trust me, when that child comes, you're going to need the prayer. So you might as well get a head start. Um, okay, um, let's see. The next thing I'd like to point out to you is Hannah was persistent. Turn over to chapter 2 really quickly, chapter 2. Um, we're going to read verse 18, 18 through 21. What I wanted, if we had time, I was going to go over the portions before this, but we don't. Um, 18 through 21, it's really painting a contrast to what was just said in verses 12 through 17. Uh, basically, those verses are describing Levi and his sons and how they were evil before the Lord. They were the priests. They were the ones that would offer up the sacrifices to the Lord. And in that portion, we see that they were not obeying the Lord and how the Lord instructed them to offer up these sacrifices. And it said that they were very evil in the sight of the Lord. But in verse 18, it says, But Samuel ministered before the Lord. And just really quickly, the reason why I wanted to point that out to you is we see that Hannah raises her son for just, we don't know exactly how long, we'd say maybe three years at the most, at the most, but she, she would offer up her son to Levi, and we would assume that Levi would raise her son along with Hophni and Phinehas. But we see that those two sons were evil, and they were, they were they're doing evil on the side of the Lord, but it says that Samuel ministered before the Lord. He was obedient to the Lord. Now, it was very, it's something that's it's very difficult for me to, to talk about when you think of Families who raise children, multiple children, and it's always interesting to see how they turn out. Oftentimes we'll see, for, we'll see, for example, a family of three. One of them will go on for the Lord. Perhaps the other two will, will fall away. And we pray that, that they'll come back, but they'll fall away. And it's always interesting. I've heard parents say, well, what did I do wrong? I mean, why is it that this one son is going on for the Lord and yet the other two aren't? Uh, I was, okay, we don't have time. I really want to go into that, but we don't have time. But it's very interesting. We see that Samuel, he was not influenced by Hophni and Phinehas. He made a decision for himself. And oftentimes, I've heard children complain about their parents. They'll say, well, my, my parents are just too strict, or my parents aren't strict enough. My parents are too involved in my life, or they're not involved enough. Those, those are all things. And, and they'll, they'll tend to blame their parents for whatever is happening for their behavior pretty much. But it's very important for us to realize that regardless of who you are, regardless of what family you've grown up in, the Lord holds each and every one of us accountable for the decisions we make. And he holds Hofti and Phineas accountable for his mistakes. Um, perhaps some of you are here today just because uh, your parents are here and, and you're still living under their house and so really you, you, you have to be here otherwise they'll be angry. Oftentimes, that's a response to so many people. But the Lord holds each and every one of us accountable. And so anyways, in verse 19, it says, Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe 
and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli would bless Elkanah, his wife, and say, The Lord give, your descendants, give you descendants from this woman for, for the loan that was given to the Lord. Then they would go to their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. That is the last mention we see of Hannah in the scriptures. Um, Hannah is only dedicated um, a chapter and a half, really, in the word of God. But she sets a beautiful example. We see, finally, that she was persistent in raising Samuel. She would come faithfully to the feasts every year, but she was persistent in encouraging her son by clothing him with a robe, uh, by clothing him with a robe. And we don't have time, so I'll probably just read it to you really quickly. Um, In Numbers 15... We don't know what exactly, what kind of robe she was making, whether it was a priestly robe or whatever the case was, but we know that regardless, the children of Israel were instructed to wear blue. Uh, In some some way, shape, or form, they had to have blue on. And the reason for that being is we see that blue is the picture of, of, of it's really the heavenly picture that we see, the heavenly color that we see in scripture. Um, But in Numbers 15 and verse 37, it says, Again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a blue thread in the tassels of the corners. And you shall have the tassel uh, that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them, that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined, and that you may remember to do all my commandments and be holy for your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. And so we see here that the Lord instructs the children of Israel, not just the priests, but all of the children of Israel to have a little tassel on their garments that was blue. And what that would do is it would, sure, it would serve as a visual reminder to them to live holy and to live obedient to the Lord. And so we see Hannah here in 1 Samuel. She would come before Samuel yearly and would make him a new robe. Now, it doesn't say what colors were, were on the robe, whatever the case was, but we can almost assume that there was blue, and it would serve as a visual reminder. It was almost as if Hannah was encouraging her son in, her, in his ministry to say, continue to be obedient and continue to live a holy life for the Lord. She was persistent. She would continue to go yearly and offer up um, these robes to him. Um, and finally, it says in verse 21, this is a final answer to her prayer, It said, and the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. We see, we pointed out earlier that Hannah had four things in her prayer. Look upon me in my affliction, remember me, don't forget me, and give me a male child. But we see here that the Lord didn't forget Hannah. He came to her, he visited her. And it said that he gave her three more sons and two more daughters. Now, I'm not Joel Osteen. I'm not going to tell you that if you uh, give $50, then the Lord will give you $75 back. I'm not going to tell you if you give the Lord one son, then he's going to give you five children. I'm not going to say that. But I will say that the scriptures do say, um, give and it shall be given unto you. The Lord honors those who honor him. And he promises that if you give, I will give unto you. And maybe not in this life, but definitely in the next. And when we think about Samuel in closing, we know that Samuel 
did so much for the Lord. The Lord was able to accomplish so much for the Lord. And we know that it was all because of Hannah. Because Hannah would come before the Lord. She would pour her heart out to him. She knew her position as the Lord's maidservant. And she would encourage her son. She had a plan. And that was that, Lord, if you give me a child, I will then in turn give him to you. So once again, parents, what... What is your desire for your children this morning? Uh, I know it's, it's really Mother's Day and we celebrate the mothers and the great job that they've done. But what is our desire? We're to set our minds on spiritual things, on heavenly things, and that includes our children. It's our desire to keep our children home and close. And perhaps the Lord would allow that to happen. We know that the Lord can use our children here in this assembly in Claremont Bible Chapel. That's great but may, perhaps the Lord will take them away and to use them in the distant country. So is that our desire? Or is it just to keep them close? And so with that, we'll close in prayer. I know uh, the, the kids are going to be coming up here soon and they're going to be singing us a couple songs. So let's just pray. Uh, my dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this time that you've given us to open your word. Father, we think upon uh, the example that we have of Hannah, the woman who uh, was just so humble before you, Father, and she had a plan. She was not selfish. She wanted a child that would live a life for you. Father, we just ask that truly that would be our desire today, not only for our children, but Father, that that would be the desire that we have for our own lives. Father, that if it is your will to, to perhaps take some of our children away, may we not stand in the way of that. Father, we just are so thankful for the parents that we have today. We're thankful for the mothers. Uh, Father, truly, we are who we are today because of our mothers and because of our fathers. And so, God, we would just thank you for them. Father, we know that it is so difficult to raise a child, and yet uh, we have so many parents here today that have that responsibility. We would just ask that truly you would give them grace, that you would help them. Father, that truly you would help them to encourage their children to live holy and obedient lives to you as Hannah did for Samuel. So, God, we would just commit this day to you and ask for your blessing upon it. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.